0: Thank you. technology in rural areas of developing countries has increased in recent decades, underpinning a vast body of research on its implications for agricultural production and the well-being of rural households. In this podcast, Nobel Laureate Michael Kramer, an economics professor at the University of Chicago, discusses digitalization experiences and lessons learned within the agricultural sector and prospects for digital rural and agricultural development. The discussion is based on Kramer's remarks during the ADBI Conference on Rural and Agricultural Development in the Digital Age. Hi, Professor Kramer. Welcome to Asia's Developing Future. To start things off, can you briefly explain how digital technology helps agricultural production in rural areas of developing countries?
1: mobile phones create at least the potential for very low cost delivery of information to farmers that can be timely, can match the agricultural season, can match pest outbreaks or weather events, the effect of very, very basic SMS messages. So not advanced technology at all, the cheapest form of program. We found that on average, that increased the odds of adopting recommended inputs by 22%. So I don't want to claim that these results are transformational. They're improvements. not revolutionizing agriculture, as you wouldn't expect from these very basic messages. That's the most basic type of application. But I think there are other benefits as well.
0: Can you unpack that a bit
1: more? Here's something that's maybe a little bit more sophisticated. This is something working with a large sugar company that operates contract farming operation and supplies inputs to farmers on credit. And the problem is that often the farmers pay for these inputs, but the inputs are delivered late or sometimes they're not delivered at all. It's obviously very costly if the fertilizer doesn't arrive at all or if it's not delivered. And the company put in a hotline in which it made some calls to farmers to check with. Them, but also create an opportunity for farmers to call in. This led to a about a one-third reduction in failure to deliver fertilizer, and it led to a 20% reduction in fertilizer delivery after the optimal time. Limit. So that's an example of what could be done to improve market operations beyond just providing extension.
0: What are the economics behind services such as these, and what do they tell us about effectively delivering them?
1: Let me actually say a little bit more about impact evaluation to try to think through some of the economics on that. I think there's often an impulse to use subscription models. There are many startups in this area and they sell the information to farmers. Now, I don't want to claim there's no role for that. If you think about the theory, there's a number of reasons why this might be very inefficient. Why is that? First, the marginal cost of information is close to zero, then it's socially efficient to provide that to everyone. That's the basic idea of non-rivalry of information. But a second issue is that information is difficult to exclude. So a farmer who gets this information may pass through a mobile phone, through a subscription service, might pass that on to their neighbor. And then that's something that makes it hard for this to be an effective business model because willingness to pay would be reduced by that. And obviously the number of customers would be reduced. There may be a quite big gap between when it's profitable for a firm to come in to provide the service and when it's socially desirable.
0: Well, the information access is almost like public good, non-rivally, non-excludable. These characteristics naturally make it difficult for producers to sell digital information services to rural and agriculture for customers,
1: right? There are also issues of asymmetric information. So how does a farmer know whether to trust the information? If it's a subscription service, they have incentives to oversell the value of information or to take advantage of confirmation bias by telling farmers what they already believe rather than other things. And if firms are taking advertising, then they may have information to say positive things about the advertisers. So I think what this asymmetric information means is that over some range of entry costs, That might prevent the formation of a market now the opposite concern will start to come in as entry costs fall as it more and more farmers get access to the internet at that point the cost of entry might be very low but then you have to worry about a lot of firms entering with very low quality content that maybe are providing misleading information
0: so it's inefficient to leave everything to the market
1: I do think there are other approaches that could be quite successful that rely on just purely private sector approaches. There may be opportunities to sell services to contract farming organizations. There might be advertising models where it is possible to develop a reputation and sustain a reputation for providing accurate information despite the advertising revenue. So I don't want to be too negative, but I think there are a lot of market failures that may prevent socially efficient provision of services.
0: Then should the public sector be the one who takes the lead, provides information, access to rural farmers, and manages content quality control?
1: At least theoretically, governments could address these market failures, but we all know that governments are subject to their own failures. Often governments don't have very strong feedback loops. There might not be such natural features in government systems. And agriculture ministries are filled with people who really understand agriculture and all the subtleties, but they don't necessarily have the expertise in digital communication. Things were perhaps not as efficiently designed as possible when governments produced this.
0: Are there other white spots?
1: There are some that are corruption or political economy problems, and then there are others that are just honest from having limited funding to hire people with certain types of skills, lack of feedback loops, et cetera. And what we found is when we've provided evidence to governments, they're often very willing to respond, which suggests that it's not bad intentions, it's just some gaps in capacity. So I think partnerships with researchers, international organizations, and NGOs can provide opportunity for governments to to improve the systems.
0: Can you share an example of successful intersectoral collaboration?
1: There's been a widespread effort in India to have soil health cards to test soil chemistry and provide that information to farmers. Site-specific nutrient management has the potential to improve yield while also, in many cases, reducing expenditure on fertilizer, which obviously has both environmental and financial benefits. But this particular design is quite complicated. It's quite technical. And it turned out it was very difficult for farmers to understand and even to trust. The government collaborated with researchers to produce a more human-centered design. The new soil health card is much simpler. It has this sort of simple red, green, yellow is of whether the nutrients are lacking. And the units are actually in local units that farmers are familiar with. This was accompanied by audio or visual content to help farmers understand, especially because there are some farmers are not able to read.
0: So how did things turn out?
1: There was quite dramatic improvements in comprehension. There was big improvements from an 8% baseline to in the 40s percentages. Audio is obviously much cheaper and can be used for farmers with phones, even if they don't have smartphones.
0: Where is all this going? How could improvements in digital technology access and use boost the development of agriculture in the future?
1: As more and more farmers get smartphones with GPS systems, or as we learn to crowdsource location information, then there could be increased customization and provision of very local weather information, for example, or pest information or market information about what inputs are available. I think there's opportunities as more people get smartphones for crowdsourcing, but it's potentially useful for the agriculture ministry and understanding what regions of the country are worst affected and providing and knowing where to focus their The resources for dealing with these pests.
0: What digital breakthroughs are you looking for down the road?
1: I think as time goes by, we'll see greater technological developments. For example, we could improve weather forecasting quite a bit. And that's very complementary with knowing farmers' location because then information can be sent to farmers about what's going to happen in precisely their area. I think there's opportunities to involve farmers themselves as sources of information so they can share their experience with various different techniques or inputs with other farms. And that information could be aggregated. So I think there's really tremendous opportunities for the future. I think this is an investment that's worth it based on current returns.
0: What is the role of international organizations to support better targeted development intervention programs?
1: The other big benefit of getting these systems going is once you can get enough farmers on this, you can start to experiment with some of these more advanced systems and that opens up the potential for much bigger gains. I think this is a very exciting area. I think it's one where there's a role for a lot of different experimentation and a role for international organizations to be willing to support that experimentation in exchange for careful documentation of the results and share sharing of information, that could lead to a very virtuous cycle of improvement.
0: Any final thoughts you'd like to share on the Outlook for Digital Service Provision and Rural and Agricultural Development?
1: So to summarize things, I think the benefits already far outweigh the costs There's a lot of opportunities for much larger improvements in the future. This is a case, and I think this will be a case for other digital things, where purely the simplest private sector models of selling things on a subscription base, economic theory and data suggest that's not going to give the optimal solution. There can be a lot of problems for just a pure public provision as well. But I think that with the additional technical support, capacity building, and integration With researchers and with NGOs, I think there's an opportunity to really improve the public models and then for experimentation by the public models and sharing of that information so there can be global learning in this area.
0: This has been Asia's Developing Future, brought to you by the Asian Development Bank Institute. For more information about us, visit adbi.org.